So I'm Sue Nye. I'm the director at Heartland, your camp. And it's a pleasure to be here today to talk about debunking the millennial generation myths. I want to apologize for the green screen. There's a green bulb. I don't know what's happening. So the people are going to look like Martians. We're just going to have to work through that. So I'm going to start with a story. So probably a year and a half ago, another director at Heartland and I gave an assignment to a millennial on the team. We gave specific goals. We gave a specific desired outcome and a specific deadline for this particular task. All right? And I think it was four weeks that we gave to accomplish the task. So about two days before deadline was a final check-in. And we said, so how are you doing on this project? Well, I haven't done any of it. Could you tell me why? What has kept you from doing it? Well, I didn't want to. I didn't want to. <laughs> well, I will say that individual is no longer at Heartland. <laughs> but that um, pervading stereotypical mentality of I want to do things that I want to do, that feel good, that mean something to me, um, we learned pretty quickly that that matters. It absolutely matters. So... What does the millennial generation bring to your ministry? What do they bring? And how do you engage them? How do we engage them and unleash their potential? Isn't that what we want to do? Isn't that our desired goal? We just heard Emil Hawkins say, we take the energy in us and we pour it out and we give it to someone else and we work our way out of a job. And for us boomers, that's exactly what we're trying to do. We're trying to prepare the millennials to take over for us. Yeah. All right. So in this workshop, boomers and Xers are going to gain a better understanding of the next generation and explore how to prepare millennials to lead. That sound like a good goal? Yes. All right. So we're going to start with a little bit of fun. And if you've seen this, just enjoy it. It's going to get stuck in your head and you're going to hate me. <laughs> and I am really, really sorry about that. It's going to take a minute to load. <clears throat> I think it's going to load. It took a minute last time, didn't it, Randy? Because if I go forward, yeah, that is. It, it was there. Yeah. And look no, what I did. Not, it did come up. We tested it. So we'll give it a second. Really? I don't know if it's so many people. No, I have it downloaded. It's a very important piece of this. The millennials hacked <laughs> They did not want you to see this. Oh. Are you trying to get on through the internet? No, here we go. Yeah. 
us wrong. Criticism isn't easy for their ears. They feel like they know most everything. See, they grew up with undeserved confidence. Cause they got trophies just for participating. M I L L E N spend our entire time together stereotyping we could identify reasons that they're that way and I can tell you that boomers and Xers have played an important role in creating some of the things that they just sang about I can remember telling my kids if you set your mind to it you can do anything it's a lie you can't do anything. I just shared the other day. I could have set my mind to be the most awesome athlete in the world. I don't have an athletic bone in my body. I cannot set my mind to be a professional athlete or even a non-professional athlete <laughs> for that matter. I'm not athletic. We've done this. We've done this. So we could try to place blame. We could do all that. But I'd rather do what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13 and find a more excellent way. Doesn't that sound good? It's all about the love that they just sang about. All right. So where did I get my information? Dale Carnegie put this amazing white paper together, and the writer cites the findings of a recent two-year survey that was conducted with MSW Research, and they said this, that millennials could become the most productive generation with the right combination of management and motivation with the right combination of management and motivation that really does excite me yeah so perhaps the best place to start today is asking the question are you willing to find that combination are you willing are we willing to work toward that goal I want to state I don't have all the answers I absolutely don't, but together, maybe we can discover some things that might work. Does that sound good? So here's where we're going to start. I mentioned that combination. In order for me or us to be able to find the right combination, we have to be willing to find the right combination. Have we been looking? Have we been willing? And then that requires me to start by believing that there actually is a right combination for this management and this motivation. There's hope. So today, I am hoping to give you hope. Hope is something that we need, right? When you see the faces fall when they realize that one day one will be our president, oh no. We need hope, and there is hope. All right, for our purposes today, we are going to identify millennials as those born between 1981 and 2000. It varies. Some say the cutoff is 95. Some say it's 01 or 02. But we're just going to go today with 81 and 2000 for the sake of this particular conversation. <laughs> Sound fair? So did our group of millennials grow in this room any? You are a millennial? Okay. All right, so we've got probably six in here. And I said, and you weren't in the room, please, please, just stick with me. If you feel offended at all, I'm good. I, 
<laughs> All right. Oh, boy. So, there were 83.1 million millennials in the U.S. in 2015. That's over one-fourth of the nation's population. Did you realize that? Over one-fourth of the nation's population. They've overtaken the baby boomers. Used to be the boomers were the largest um, group demographically ever in the history of the United States. Now the millennials have taken over. So what happens when you know that as few as 5% of the population can actually shift culture? Now we're looking at 25% of the population. Do you think that the millennials have shifted culture in the United States of America? Do you ever find yourself, boomers and Xers, acting like a millennial? Of course you do. They've shifted culture. Things have changed. So that's something that we need to realize is there's been a shift in paradigms. There's been a huge culture shift. What are we going to do about it? Let's find out a little bit more about millennials. Important facts. They're racially diverse. Racially diverse. Never in our history has our country been more racially diverse. We've been ethnically diverse, if that makes sense, from the Europeans. But we were mainly white, Caucasian. And now... We're racially diverse because the millennials are very much so. They're relatively unattached to organized politics and religion. Those two things kind of turn them off. Ask them, so what party do you belong to politically? What's your answer? Oh, I'm a conservative. I, this is how I can't, I can't believe how it's changed. We have actually... Are we, I mean, are we allowed to talk that a socialist actually was a front runner for a political party? And that's how I said, oh my gosh, this generation has a serious problem. Yes. <laughs> I'm serious about yeah. it. Like, it's scary, right? I looked at the, I looked at the, more millennials voted for a socialist than all the other people combined. And I was like, we have a problem. Have a problem. We have a problem. Yeah. That's why I'm here, actually. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Thank you for your self-realization and your transparency. All right. They are linked by social media. Like no other generation, no other way of linking, they are linked by social media. And sadly, and lacking social skills, so connected. You're right. You're completely right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let me back up there a moment. So we're sitting at a conference last week, and one of the millennials on our team is sitting there. And actually, I noticed at the entire conference, the phone is in the hand, and it's this the whole time. And I went up. I'm mom, you know, so I just went up and I said, hey, why don't I just take that device from you for a little bit? Why don't you connect with the people across the table? You know what she said? I am. I'm texting them. They were across a 30-inch, 8-foot table, and they're texting back and forth. Okay. All right. It's a little hard for me, but I'm trying. I really am. All right. This is sad. They're burdened by debt. Debt from what? Yes, college debt. Oh, my goodness. It's such a heavy, heavy burden for them. We must understand that. And honestly, I think that's why they voted for a socialist. Okay? Because there was a great promise there. Yeah. All right. They are distrustful of people. Have you noticed that? That's what this study has shown. They are distrustful of people. We could spend a lot of time talking about why, but this is a fact. All right. Right? They're in no rush to get married. Happily single. Again, we could have a whole nother workshop just on why they want to remain single. They're optimistic about the future. Now, isn't that interesting? I've said some things that kind of lead you to believe they would not be optimistic. But they are optimistic about the future. What's that? Ignorance is bliss? Okay. All right. 
Very good. So, I'm thinking that we can find some keys to unlock the potential of this wonderful generation. And I do mean wonderful. They're such a joy to spend time with, so full of life, so much wanting to connect, and just not knowing how. So what do they want? That's next. What do millennials actually want? So the first thing we're going to do is look at what they want just in general, all right? They want to be engaged. Now, I'm going to say some things that I see some puzzled looks on faces. They do. They don't seem like they want to be engaged, but they do. They want to be engaged, and every millennial I've talked to confirms that this is true. So their actions actually aren't lining up with their inner desires. So we have to help them get there. Steve? So we're not talking about being engaged to be married, which they want to be single. Oh, involved. thank you. Involved. involved. Engaged included. in life. Yes. Included. Yes. yes. They want, thank you. <laughs> I just talked about wanting to be happily single, right? Yes. Excellent clarification. Well, even Cleveland State University uses, the, for their advertising, mm-hmm. it just says one thing, Cleveland State, engage. Engage. Nobody really knows what that means. Yeah. Engage in what? Yes. It's a thing. It's a, it's a term. Yes. Yeah. Yes. All right. They respond well to training. They respond well to training. And here's the thing. You see that I underlined the word feel? Feelings are important to millennials. Why? I think we've created that in them, right? You, you want to go by your feelings. And, you know, the gal that I said told me, well, I didn't do it because I didn't want to. It was based on feelings. That's dangerous because they're more, they more, what drives them is more... Um, uh, it's emotions Emotion based. rather than facts. <clears throat> yes. So that's when you start going down dangerous territory. Well, why is right wrong and wrong right today? The whole world is a little bit flipped upside down because when we drive ourselves by our emotions, by our feelings we start to enter some pretty dangerous territory. And you can ask, what is truth? You know, this is something that was asked, right? <laughs> um, what is truth, Veritas? What I feel is right. Yes. And what you think is truth, yeah, is okay for you. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You got it. All right. So we, they want to feel more valued. They want to feel more confident, and they want to feel more connected. So in trainings, this is something that they're looking for, something that's going to help them feel those things. It almost sounds to me like being coddled. They want to be coddled. Well, okay. All right. Well, we'll start here, and then we'll go back here. I was listening to uh, a college, and it goes... I'm sorry, college has failed you. We, you haven't failed college. And it's like, because they want to feel like they've been, um, they want that confidence and that value, but they don't feel like they want to take responsibility for their failure. So it's like, college failed you. Now, I was like, how messed up is this? It is the people that are going to be running our country. I'm like, that is so cool. And he says, I am one. I know. I'm like, oh my gosh, they're going to try to get people this by this College failed you. Yeah, yeah. So that lack of responsibility. Back here. So we work with a group of people who are a higher team. We actually bring in college students. And this does actually make a lot of sense because they do want to be engaged. I had to do a technical training, and it was dry material. They didn't respond back, and we got the surveys. They basically said they basically didn't see the engagement. So I think when they, they they do want to be engaged because they want to feel like they're making a difference. They needed the information to yes. feel confident, but it was dry technical information, partially my fault for the way it was presented, and we have a different way to do that now. So Good. I don't think it's completely emotional. I think there is that engagement, mm-hmm. because they want to be connected, and that helps them to respond. Yes, to yes. And you could all teach this workshop, lead it. I'm telling you because you're exactly right, and we're going to get into that. All right. They want training in leadership. They think leadership is important. 
And we think it's important that they're trained as leaders, right? We want to equip them. We want to pour that power that we have into them. They actually want training in public speaking, many of them. They value that. They want to help others. If you talk with them, it, it drives them. They're actually very nice, most of them, and want to help other people. They want training in self-confidence. There is a difference between um, that false, I can't do anything wrong, I'm not taking responsibility, and actually feeling really good about who you are. Now, what's the basis of course, it's them being in Christ and knowing who they are in Christ that is going to actually firm that up. So that training, all right. They want training in team management because they don't want to just be your average Joe. They want to be able to lead teams, all right? So now we're going to switch to the workplace. They, they are looking for some very specific things, and you're going to watch all of this tie in. Some of it may even be a little repetitive because it all works together for what they're looking for. So this is what they're looking for in a workplace. They want to work somewhere where they're given the help and support that they need. These are key words, help and support. Help and support. They want to work somewhere where there are incentives for higher performance. Incentives for higher performance. And this is a huge one. Very, very challenging in the workplace, in in the church, in our ministry at Heartland, and even at McDonald's. They're looking for flexible hours to allow a work-life balance because they have seen boomers and Xers for their entire lives unhealthily, is that a word? And Yes, into their work. I don't want that. I want to have a balance. I want to have relationships. So they, they need flexible hours. No, they don't want to be workaholics. No, 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 no. No, we find that whole 40-hour thing, I had to work 40 hours this week, and I'm just exhausted. And Randy and I are like, we're 60 and we work 70 hours. So what is the deal? But it's true. Amy, am I right? 40 hours exhausts, right? Yes. Yeah. Steve? And you might be getting into that. I don't know, but... It, it gives me pause, you know, as, as we discuss this and mm-hmm. present this, is because it is so easy for any of us to point out all the things that we think are wrong or flawed. And But like you said, this stereotypical group of millennials are that way because of how they were raised by us. us. <laughs> and it was yes. us that worked our butts off, didn't give family the priority, didn't Amen. give them the affirmation that they were looking for. You know, they're wanting all those mm-hmm. things and needing to feel all those things mm-hmm. because it was absent from their upbringing yes. because we were so focused in on our work mm-hmm. and our jobs and, you know, two parents needing both to be working because of having the things and the houses that we wanted. Right. They're the product of... They are the product, yes. And we could have spent our whole time seriously looking at how they got here. And there are some really good videos online. I'm trying to remember the gentleman's name. I'll get it by the end. But there's a really good video that shares how they got here and points to exactly the things you're talking about, Steve. Simon Sinek. Yes, thank you. Yes, Simon Sinek. Single parent homes. Of course. Uh, my dad worked many hours. Mm-hmm. I don't remember any of us you know, going off the wayside. Of course, if we did, he was right there to straighten us out. Right. But we had a mom at home. Yeah. Right? Every time we got home, there was mom. Seven yeah. kids, she was there. Uh, my kids, also the same thing. My wife, after we got married, she, when we first started having kids, she stopped, She became a, a you know, stay-at-home mom. Mm-hmm. And that helped a lot with the kids. You know, 
Well, yeah. I think that it's more than just that we were working hard because I think it has more to do with the way the environment was, right? And as we know, morality drives culture, so right. how was right. morality? Right. Well, and the whole structure of the family, the structure of the home, you Once know, that's had, destroyed everything else just right. Suit. Absolutely. I pick here. I've heard that you know the millennials kind of embraced I would call them neo hippies. It's like they didn't like the eighties greed and all that, so they went back to this, you know, mm-hmm. looser boundaries and look like you're really giving and caring socially and loving the environment. So it's kind of like a reinvented of the sixties. They rejected this greed driven yep. generation, so they went back to something that looked good. Yeah. And looked more like what they wanted to Yes. Do. Very relational, love, peace. Yes, yes, exactly. Great. Okay. They want to be able to look forward to going to work. It's very important to them. Okay. <laughs> We're going to get you beyond that. <laughs> yes, yes. And they want a place where they're trusted to do their work and more. They now, again, I realize that hasn't necessarily been your experience, but this is true. This is what they really want. So you have to go beyond what you've seen and experienced to the reality of it. All right? This is what they really want. And I see the millennials in the room saying, yes, this is what we want, right? Okay. They want to be able to work with limited oversight. They, they don't thrive well under the top-down management approach, whether it is at home, in the family, um, school, work life. They don't do well. So when I talk about a supervisor, this could be in the workplace, it, this could be in the church, you could be leading volunteers, whatever that is. I'm talking about you as a leader, leading millennials. This is what they're looking for in you, all right, when I use the term supervisor. They want someone who communicates openly and honestly. What would be an example of that? Someone give an example of communicating openly and honestly with a millennial member of your ministry team. Right back here, Jenny. Okay, these are what the expectations are. This is what you're going to do. And this is, um, you know, deadlines. Uh, we want it done by this time. If that doesn't happen, then this is the consequence. Okay. Um, and kind of putting it out there so that, you know, you understand what's expected, um, so that you have some sort of knowledge of what they're wanting out of. Okay, good. So very clearly defined expectations along with. And if you don't do that, here are going to be the consequences. And that may have been the piece that we were missing with the gal that said, well, I didn't do it because I didn't want to. Good, good, good. All right. They want someone who recognizes their contributions. Recognizes their contributions. How do we do that? How do we recognize their contributions? They want the pat on the back. They do. They do. So let's say here at Synergy, if um, let's say that Pastor Wooten had a whole team of millennials, all right? So where I really don't need personally that pat on the back, come up on the stage and, hey, this is Sue, and she put this whole thing together for you. It would be very good for him, instead of taking any credit, to have that person come up and say, I just really want to express appreciation, which, by the way, he does for the team. But I'm just using that as an example that that would be very, very important, right? Okay. They want someone who's both trustworthy and trusting. What's the difference? Trustworthy and trusting. Okay. Um. Trustworthy, first of all, they do what, they're gonna, what they say they're going to do. They hold up their end. But then also they trust that um, you can accomplish what the expectations are that they have of you without micromanaging, without hungering. Great. Yep. Yep, very, very well spoken there. All right. They want someone who's going to treat them with respect. Everyone has a desire to be respected, right? 
everyone. That is across all generations. They're no different. They want to be respected. And they want someone who's going to help them learn. So that takes an investment of time. And how about someone who sets a good example? So for those of us in the room who are leading millennials, we must do what we say we're going to do. Nate, Pastor Nate's in the room. Um, one of the words that he uses often in dealing with his team, he's creating a culture of honor. And this is extremely important to this generation, a culture of honor. Steve? Just with all of this, from the communicating, opening, and honestly, to setting the good example, is that they you can earn their trust if you are honest enough to admit when you're wrong. Ah. As their supervisor, as their boss, again, they've been raised up in a, in, in a high expectation yep. that I'm always wrong and you're always right. And, and so they're wanting to prove themselves, but they will respond a whole lot when you say, I'm sorry. Yeah. I was wrong. I did not communicate this whatever. Okay. And if they see that in you, that transparency and that yep. ownership, then they will model it. They'll, they'll respond yes. to it. But they won't if, if you appear that you always have all the answers. Right. Right. And anyone in this room have all the answers? No. Sometimes we think we do, but we don't. All right. This is what they say is very, very important to them, but it's missing in their ministry, with their employer. It's missing. They want to be able to do work that is both varied and interesting. That is really, really hard if you're on an assembly line. So imagine you're trying to hire someone in a factory, and they're doing the same motions day in and day out. Factory work is very difficult for the stereotypical millennial. Now, that does not mean that there aren't people who can do it. But one of the things that we do at Heartland is we try to find out, what are you passionate about? You know, if Guy's a millennial and he's coming on, actually, if you're anyone, any generation, what are you passionate about? And what are your strengths? We want you to serve out of your strengths and your passions. So we're going to match your responsibilities to those. And then you're going to find your work to be more appealing, more varied, and interesting. So changing it up, not having routine, very important. Is, is this study, when they did this study, is that this millennial kind of situation only in the United States? Or is this something that is common, like in Mexico or Europe? Or do, do their young people behave this way? This was a United States this study? United States. Yes, yes. So I don't know the answer to that actually I would imagine that in what I would call western culture this would be common but it for sure um, this is what they found in the United States in this study I think it's primarily the United States because even when you look at Europe they're um, a more conservative not in political but as uh, having the same understanding as the parents as far as they're not breaking, more traditional, that's what Okay, so all right, they're following parental tradition. tradition, okay, sure. All right, they say that this is missing. They really want to work with senior management members who are honest with employees. They want everything to be kind of laid out on the table. So where are we financially? What's going on? You know, I think about that. You can't handle the truth. Sometimes that's true, right? In that movie, what was that? The, yeah, you can't handle the truth. Sometimes they really can't because I try to do this, and sometimes it backfires on me. Because without the time to completely explain the entire context, I get myself into trouble. So be careful, but they do want you to be transparent. Yeah, all right. They want to work for someone, now I said company, can be ministry, that encourages open communication between employees and management. And that picture there of everyone sitting down at the table together. Sitting down at the table together, open communication, dialogue. Not that top-down approach. It doesn't work well. 
I don't think it works in our culture, period, no matter what generation you're from. I also think as we've outsourced and we have remote employees and, you know, once upon a time, yes, we all sat in the same building in the same city. Mm -hmm. We don't do that so much anymore. And so I think this, especially I know from my experience, the millennials can help you out because how do we get someone who's doing this work for us in Houston and this person is doing this work for us in New York. That's a great point. don't communicate... Because it's not like the old-fashioned structure where if you really had a problem, you could go knock on the boss, you know, the boss's door. Right. Now we have so many people working on different projects scattered potentially throughout the world. Right. We have to, you know, there has to be a communication or, you know, it, it just doesn't work. It won't work. Because it won't. even the boss that would not communicate, at least he would walk by or look out his door. You know, you can't do that when you have projects running, you know, all over the world. You're right. So we're going to have to be very creative and how we communicate. All right. Here's the biggie. Here's the biggie. And we're going to get into some C's in a moment. The letter C cares. They're looking for someone to minister with, to work with and for, who cares about their personal lives and the effects that their personal lives are having on their work. You know, the whole thing I can remember... I became an employee at the age of 18, and I've worked pretty much ever since. I've always been told, you leave that stuff at home. Leave it at home. That has no place in your workplace. That is no longer the mantra. (laughs) That is not, no, no. I want to be able to talk about it. I want them to understand why I'm falling apart today. I want them to understand why I'm euphoric and on top of the world today. They want you to know and understand it. That's a very, very important piece of it. And, of course, they are seeking for that good work-life balance. Is that unreasonable? No. No. No, it's not unreasonable at all. So what can we do? And we're going to get into some brainstorming with these, these seven C's. So we're going to commit, I hope, by the end of this to these seven C's. See what I did there? Seven seats, one and one. Okay. I try to be cute in my presentations. It doesn't always work. All right. We're going to... (laughs) Thanks, Randy. All right. So, care. This is number one. If you don't go beyond care, if you don't care, forget the rest. It won't even matter. You must care. So, you know the old saying... Um, People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. All right. Still true. Millennials not only don't care how much you know until they know how much you care, but they're not going to engage with you at all until they know how much you care. They're just not. You don't care about me? I am not doing anything for you or with you at all. Just the way it is. So I'm just laying that down. That's the way it is. So, just a few popcorn, maybe some people we haven't heard from. Tell me, I'd love to hear from the millennials in the crowd. How can we show that we care? What are some ways, tangible ways? Just listening. Listening. Huge. Absolutely. Whitney. Just because you've had a bad experience with one doesn't mean that everyone acts that way. Okay. Try not to bring, just because Joe did this to you, don't bring that in when you're talking to Sally. Good, good. All right. The thing with me, just, you already mentioned, was just being trustworthy. Okay. Just, like, it's just, hey, man, I just want to trust you. And just from, you know, listening and caring, but uh, mostly just trustworthy. I'm just trying to explain it like that, but. Yep. Yeah. Good. Nate. I think the ability to circle back to things. It's one thing to have a conversation where I think we feel care when someone comes back. Hey, how's your mom doing? And last time we talked, yes. I think things like that. So it's like, hey, you weren't thinking about it. It wasn't just like I fulfilled a quote, like, okay, get the feelings out, great, let's get back to work. But to circle back. Circle back. Lots of that is awesome. Yeah, they love that you remembered. Yeah. What about praying? Hello, how about if somebody is struggling and you've listened and they've shared something that's happening, take the time to pray with them. 
Right? Doesn't that show that you care? Yeah. Any others? I actually learning someone's name and because a lot of times when we're in a work situation where um, your only your main method of communication is through email and then mm. somebody comes up to you and they're just like, Oh hey you like, <laughs> Yeah, or like I have a weird name so people don't know how to say it, so then I know as soon as they mispronounce my name, Oh, you don't really know me. You're just mm. you know, like referring back to something you read on a piece of paper or What is your name? Adriana. Adriana. Yeah, so I don't wear name tags because people call me the wrong name, so I'd rather <laughs> All right. introduce myself. Adriana, thanks for sharing that. That is, it's important, right? Yeah. We want to hear our name. My husband is a genius working with people. Sometimes I think maybe you overdo it, but they love him <laughs> because he repeats their name in the conversation. People want to feel important and using their name. You, you hit it. You nailed it. And you, were, you mentioned earlier, um, you were talking about Dale Carnegie, and I was, I'm reading that book right now, um, How to Win Friends and Influence People, and that was one of the things he mentioned, and I never heard somebody put it in the way he did, but he said, that's your identity, and when people like use your name, it, it makes you feel important just because they're talking to you and yes. not just another person. Very good. Very good. Kind of off of that... Um, Everyone mispronounces my name. I don't really care as long as they make an effort because I'm used to it. Because <laughs> my name's Sendera, nobody's ever heard it. And so I get Dendra, Deandra, this, <laughs> even if they know me. <laughs> yep, yep. Um, but See, I've just I, gone to Denny. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but it, like I work at Children's Services, so I'm working with a lot of families, um, and you know they can't ever remember my name. And there's a few of my clients that they've recently started. They're like Sandera, and I'm like, you actually got it. And yeah. it's just kind of like, I, I don't know if I feel that I'm actually starting to like relate to them to the point mm-hmm. where they um, they want to learn my name, mm-hmm. or if maybe they. I've been in their life too long and it's just happened. But it, it kind of makes me feel um, a little bit like, you know, they care about me even though yeah. it's somebody that they don't care about. We like, hear that? <laughs> they care about me. They know my name. And they hate me, but they yeah. still know my name. <laughs> That's, <laughs> so that good. Kind of- That's good. So this this whole caring thing, yeah, I don't want to just skim past it. It's very, very critical. It's a major key. I just want um, you know, when my daughter comes to talk to me, um, I know the way that she knows that I care is if I, because I'm really bad at this too, I'm always, you know, on Facebook or texting, and I just actually put my phone down and really listen to her. Mm. You know, really listen, and, you know, not judging or whatever. Yeah. How many of you have had a conversation with someone, and they are on their phone while you were trying to talk with them? How do you feel? How do you feel? Unimportant. Unheard. Right? So even though they give off this um, thing that maybe that's so important to them, what's really more important is if you do, you set that device aside and eye contact. Oh, eye contact is so important. We've lost the art of it, right? Oh, let's give eye contact. Let's talk to people. Yes. All right. We'll go on. We can always come back. The next one is cast vision. Cast vision. Oh, boy, here's another biggie. I'd say this is number two. I really do have them in order. Cast vision. Inspire them. Why? Because millennials want to make the world a better place. They want a part in it. Millennials, are we right? God made me so I can make this place better. They want to do this, so we have to inspire them. Big vision, world-changing vision is going to draw in their hearts and draw them in. It's very important. Fostering their involvement in what you're doing. Yeah. Whether it's small tasks, if, if there's a small task and it's tied to this big vision, are they going to want to do it? Because it's helping get there. Right? 
All right. So, what is the big vision of your ministry? You've got to know that. Because if you're going to share that big vision, if you're going to inspire them, and you have absolutely no idea, how are you going to engage them? How are you, how are you going to get them excited about how we're going to get there? You know, one thing I keep thinking about is, you know, all the stuff that you're talking about is, is that, it's true, right? Because somebody studied all this. Yes. Uh, face value. The, the thing that I'm saying, we know this, the secular world also knows this. And when you see the things happening in our society, mm-hmm. how are they using all these tools to take advantage of these millennials for their agendas? And I just mm-hmm. wonder, how, can they, how would the church, who for the most part, we only see them a few times, a few hours a week mm-hmm. at school, college, universities, they have. Uh, everything else has them all the rest of the time. Right. Just wondering, we, we, we have to really stand up. We have to do something really bold. Really bold. To overcome that secular influence. I think so too, because if, mm-hmm. like I look back, if you look back in the 60s, those kids going into college came out of church-going families, mm-hmm. and, they, and you know, and they were they were going to church where they were taught right and wrong, right, a certain a Christian morality. Yep. But then when they got to college in the 60s and the Vietnam War, they were seeing that, wait a minute, there's, there's this disconnect between what we were taught in Sunday school mm-hmm. and what's going on in this real world. And I think that's where we as churches and Christians, especially in this generation, it's just like you said, all right, we have been cut out, the church has been cut out, yep. you know, basically because of media. Yep. We have to do something bold to get back in there and realize that all this caring and just like the kids in the 60s wanting to change things, they're trying to change it for the good. We just need to show them that, you know, you know what, 2,000 years ago, <laughs> there was a man who had the same idea as you did, you know, who wanted to, to stop crime and who wanted to help the homeless yeah. and, and, and heal people. Everything, mm-hmm. you know, we, we, we've had this. And so, I, like you said, it has to be something bold. I, yeah. I've thought about it. I can't figure yeah. it out. But yes, we, you know, once we can put that, you know, get that message to them, but we have to figure out how to, how to do that. Yeah. For me, I'm a big vision guy. Mm-hmm. I know this is me because it says without vision, the people perish. Mm-hmm. So we need both perspectives. You got to, I think, like the, the world, they are trying, I think it's part of the whole end times thing, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. The world is using that against this generation to kind of get this into this global unity type mm-hmm. of thing. And then also we need the good side too, where, hey, revival's here. We're part of this. We're going to change the world. Yeah. Read the end of the book. We're going to be part of this. And that's, that's kind great. of some of the things I'm trying to get into the youth. Is like, guys, if you guys really tap into this, get the vision that we're going to change the world. I believe if it's what is it? What's the after the millennial generation? Us and the millennial generation. Uh, what, the world, what is Gen Z? Gen Z. Yes. Thank you, Gen Z. We're going to change yeah. The yeah. All right. I've got two. We'll go here, and then we'll go here. I mean, I think that's why if you see a big you see a big shift in in religion right now is going towards the missional yes. aspect because that's hands on. Yeah. You know, you're yeah. putting rubber where meets the road. You're doing that big vision thing where you're getting active, and it's not just me sitting in church and learning. Yes. I'm using that and seeing that big vision, meeting those people, and yeah. and you know having those relationships that we need. You yeah. know, and loving on the people where they're at. Yeah, very, very good. That's what I love about Reach Conference. Yeah, because Reach Conference for Youth does what, Nate? Yeah, we, we want to bring people together, but also activate them to reach, you know, in their community. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it's, yeah, that's, that's what we want to see people do. Not that church is right in a, in a building, but it's happening when you go home. Yeah. And, um, yeah. Yeah, it's huge. Steve? It's just... It's activating faith through service. Yes. It's showing people and showing the world that we care because we are willing to sacrifice our finances, our resources, our time to serve you and to make you feel, whoever needs it, to make people feel loved, Mm -hmm. important, you know, and and, and lifted up. Yeah. And so if, if you can do the simplest service project that puts feet to your faith and, and right. shows other people that we care, then it, it, it lifts the scripture off the page and out of the church and into homes, well families, said. 
communities, whatever. And didn't he just describe agape love right there? A verb. Nate? And I just want to say, too, I, I think I'm a big proponent of you know, co-generational ministry. You know, this comes from the young guy. I think sometimes you can feel like, yeah, we're the ones. We're going to change this thing. We're going to change the tide. It's going to be us. Move out the way, folks. <laughs> but it's, it's really both. Yeah. I, re- I really yeah. feel that. You know, yeah. Yeah, it, it's not just saying, right, uh, you know, no offense. It's not like saying, well, the older generation is just like, you know, you're, you're just here to support us. But no, you need the wisdom. You need the insight. And the older generation, you, you need the young people to have the passion, the fire. It's like, I don't have the passion, the fire, but I got the wisdom. So I'll bring that component. Mm-hmm. You bring the passion, yep. the fire. Because, and, and it speaks true to me, not because I view myself as a, you know, a, a, a youth person, but I realized you know, when I started youth ministry, I was 20. Uh, you know, I ain't, I ain't 20 no more. I look a little different. You know, young people are talking like, hmm, what? What is that? I don't know. Because uh, one day I'm going to be the, you know, the, the older guy in the room. Mm-hmm. Like, man, Nate's still doing youth ministry. My goodness, I thought he died. You know, like, <laughs> <laughs> like that. Yeah. You know, so I have to realize that, like, right, what, what God is doing sometimes, we're like Moses, right? Moses did amazing things, but he didn't get to go to the promised land. Yep. He completed his part, and Joshua took over. And in right. there's other places in the scripture you can see that where um, you know that, that co-generational ministry. And so I good. say this: I think um, you know, the older generation, right? They want to be remembered for what they've done, rightfully so. Right? A young person can come to a building to a church and say, "Ugh, man, this garbage is disgusting." <laughs> but older person, do you know what it, you know what it took us to get this building? Right. Right. You sacrificed a lot. So even though you're kind of like scoffing at it, it took a lot to, to, to get this. And the young generation, you know, they want to be known for what they're going to do. And you have that tension sometimes. Like, hey, yeah. like, oh, Jack, we've done a lot. You, you've right. done nothing yet. Like, well, we are. We're up and coming to watch out. Yep. But there has to be that honor both ways. It says, you know what? It's good. We all bring something to the table. I'm sorry. No. No, it's good. I Like I said, anyone in here could lead this workshop. This is just... We're learning together. We'll go with Guy, and then we'll go to the next one. Well, I guess what has come to mind there is when we use words like vision or engage, I think that what they want is ownership. Ownership, I think that's, that's good. that's key word to look at, okay. ownership. Okay, what can we do to help, you know, get them to catch the vision, to be able to move them up, mm-hmm. and not always telling them or talking down to them, but just what, what's your ideas? You know, the yeah. ownership part of it. Yep. Yep, you know, we use the term grassroots, um, super important. It's 11 o'clock, all right. So, oh, okay, all right. So we're going to zoom through a couple of these. We've already talked about communicate. That's the good news, but this is an important C as well. This is number three. So every C hinges, that's why I put it in the middle, on excellent communication, every one of these Cs. So some rules. We've already talked about these. To be honest, to be transparent. Now, see how nice I was? I leave the previous one up so you have time to write, right? <laughs> be clear in your expectations. This is something Denny mentioned, Dendera mentioned. See, look at that. And share the why. The why is extremely important. Please take the time to share the why. It's very, very important. It's important to me. I'm an old lady. I want to know the why. Don't ask me to do something and not tell me why. I don't like that. i got to buy in. All right. Allow space for feedback. Now, let me say that is when time permits and when it's appropriate. There are times that I may need to give you a directive, and I don't have time or space at the moment, and maybe it's not appropriate for you to say, well, I'd like to talk to you about my idea on that. Well, guess what? We don't have time because in five minutes, we've got the group coming in to eat or whatever it is. Service starts in five minutes. Don't tell me that you decided you'd like to change the soundboard for the day. So whatever it is, when possible, allow space for feedback from them. All right? We talked about listening, the importance of listening. Listening isn't just letting them talk, is it? What's the difference between letting them talk and listening? Whitney? We often should listen to respond, not listen to hear. So okay. Be able to 
reply with them and go further and dig further with what yes. they're saying. Not just, uh huh, uh huh, okay, sure. Yep. Very good. Respect for what you're saying. Right? Yes. I mean, I can say, okay, you, you, you go ahead and you say what you want. You know, you can have the, the mic for a day or whatever. Yeah. But if I'm not really listening, there's no respect. If I'm listening, right. that shows that I actually respect your views and your opinion. Awesome. I think we've got it. That's good. All right. Give feedback and encouragement often. So just a quick story. Um, one of our facilitators at Heartland took a group of college students, ladies, out onto the Team Challenge course. It was two falls ago, and he had about 15 of them, and he was working them through. They, they could not accomplish the goal, all right? And so he's trying to bring out what went wrong. Oh, we don't want to talk about what went wrong, Lonnie. Throw glitter, not shade. <laughs> okay, yeah, not my favorite thing to hear from someone. They really do want feedback, but it has to be founded on relationship, and we'll talk about that in a minute. And there has to be such a high dose of encouragement at the back of your handout. And please um, just know it's there. You can peek at it, but don't go there and study it. We just received a really good handout on affirmations. So if you've got people in your life, fill out that form and give it to them to affirm what you see in them. Very important. They always want the praise. It seems like they don't ever want you tell anything bad it's hard but if you let them know i'm going to help you grow i'm going to help you get where you want to go what are your goals what are your core values and what are your goals and i'm going to help you get there and that's why i'm going to share what you might need to work on or improve on all right remember effective communication requires creativity we talked about that i don't think we're going to be able to get into it but think beyond email how you're going to be effective. And we were going to brainstorm, and we're not going to have time, but we've been doing a good job of that, I think, all along. All right. The next C is challenge. We need to challenge millennials. They welcome it. And I've had people say, I don't see that. I don't think they want challenged at all. Yes, they do. They do want challenge. They want to discover. They want to grow. They want to change. They do. They're excited about it. Please believe me, you may not see it, but here's the deal. This is relationship dependent. If you're going to challenge them to grow, you best have relationship with them for that foundation to go from. If you don't have the relationship, don't waste your time. All right? So learn their core values and tie goals to those core values. What's important to them? Tie it together. Provide a clear path that calls them to greater things. Goes back to the big vision. So when you tie your big vision with their core values, and you're talking about, let's challenge you to go somewhere, they're going to go. They're going to go. All right. Provide work that's varied and interesting. We talked about that. Provide opportunities for learning and development beyond their current job. They want to go somewhere. They want to go somewhere. Status quo is not in their vocabularies. They want to go somewhere. So those opportunities for learning and development. They want to be participants, not spectators. participants. I got to make a difference. And I say, are they really any different from any of us? No. That's the big revelation. Oh, they're really just like me. All right. Next C. Connect. This is huge in the church. All right. It's all about relationships. All about relationships. Barna, you know, the Barna group, they've said that community relationships are the number one reason that millennials go to church. Above worship? 
Above involvement, it's relationships. Yep. All right. They're looking for connections in person. It doesn't seem like it, but it is. They love hanging out together, even if they are texting the person across the table. (laughs) Yes. Online and calls and texting. They love connecting. So here's the thing in your ministry. You need to provide those moments, those spaces for the connection. Don't get too upset when they are connecting. They're spending some time talking and sharing, or they need to come and connect with you. You've got to allow some space for that because it's so incredibly important to them. So that positive, we have a paid-to-play day at Heartland on Monday. We, we spend an entire day, please do not get mad at me when I tell you that, but it's important because we have a lot of people working for us that find it very important to connect. And we're so busy, we're working so hard, we don't have time. So on Monday, we're going to play for eight hours. We're going to play together. A group hug day. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, I will tell you that there was a time that we had this like feedback session and we're like brainstorming with the entire team and we said, so how often do you think that we should have a paid to play day? And every week, every week, we'd like to have one every week. Well, we actually have one once or twice a year. No, every week would be great. That was a millennial. All right. So we're not going to be able to brainstorm that at the moment, but be thinking. Start thinking about ways that you can build into your time in your ministry ways for millennials to connect and build relationships. All right. Next one is collaborate. Collaborate. They want to do it together. Do it together. And the next one is huge. And it, again, see, I told you it all ties together, right? It ties back to big vision. It ties back to core values. Don't just spend time together, but do something meaningful together. Go out into the community and make a difference. Do something meaningful. And like I said, tie it back to that big vision. All right. It's the last one. Coach. How many of you were in sports and have had a great coach that poured into your life? How many of you were in sports and had a coach that just about destroyed you? Okay. All right. It can go either way. So we're going to finish with this question. What kind of coach are you? What kind of coach are you? Coaches, they teach. They train. They listen. They treat their players with respect. They provide incentives for higher performance. And they give feedback and encouragement often. Feedback and encouragement often. I love this. So coaches are the example a good coach. They don't just inspire you to do something, but they're doing it with you, and they're actually going out in front, and they're being that example. So Einstein said, setting an example is not the main means of influencing others. It is really the only means. The only means. All right. Remember, what do they want? They want to be valued. Right? Millennials want to be valued. They want to be confident. They want to be connected. That's what they want. They have a strong desire to become something and to contribute. Isn't that who they are? Yeah. All right. I am hoping your opinion of millennials may have changed during this workshop. All right. Do you sense hope rising? Millennials, do you have hope that we might be gaining an understanding of how to lead you? 
And those of you who have been having these exasperating moments of, what? You want to go work in the coffee shop all day? Or you didn't do this because you didn't feel like it? Yeah. We have a responsibility to lead well. Okay. And that was the next one. We're going to finish with... Will they start? Please sing. (laughs) We're not watching the whole thing, by the way. It's going to take a minute again. Oh, my goodness. Okay, we are late. This close was, please pray for millennials. All right? Please do. 